Thank you, Pastor Parker. That was wonderful. Take your Bibles, if you will, uh, to the book of Philippians, chapter number 3. Philippians, chapter number 3, this morning. Thank you so much for being with us. I know that uh, uh, it's just a fun, different kind of day, but, you know, the truth of the matter is, is that if, you, if you're not allowed to have fun in church, you shouldn't be allowed to have fun anywhere, right? And uh, so uh, I'm thankful that you're here today. Before we get started, I want to do something. Uh, many of you have commented, you've been up here. Um, let, let me just do this. If you are in this room, and, and I know several of them are on our security team, but if you're in this room and you helped work on our stage, will you please stand to your feet? If you are in this room and you helped work uh, on our stage, stand, stand, stand. Here we go. Here we go. Stand, stand, stand. Why don't you give these men a wonderful round of applause? I cannot even begin to tell you how many hours have been spent um, getting our stage prepped and ready uh, for today. Uh, if you're visiting with us, you don't know any different, but uh, three weeks ago, this, this uh, wooden stage was non-existent, and uh, it was a portable stage that we had up here, and in about a three weeks uh, span of time, uh, this is what it has uh, evolved into, and I'm so thankful. And another thing that I'm very grateful for is when you look at this stage, not one nail driven, not one uh, uh, piece of wood that was put down, nothing was done by anyone outside of our church. And uh, we are, yeah. We are, we are so very blessed to have so many hardworking men that have sacrificed their evenings um, and have sacrificed their Saturdays, their weekends. Uh, to come and help us get this ready. Um, it's not a, it's not 100% yet. We still have a few things left to do on it, um, but it is beautiful, and uh, it just looks great. Well, Philippians chapter number 3 today, we're going to uh, uh, just uh, look uh, at a passage of Scripture for a few moments and uh, kind of uh, analyze it and make an analogy that has to do with football and uh, share with you what uh, I believe that God has laid on my heart this morning. There have been many statements and comparisons about life, and today I would say that life is like football. You may say that's true because foot, uh, football is oddly shaped, and my life is oddly shaped. You ever feel that way? Um, or it, it's, it's full of hits, but how does that apply to me today? I, well, the truth is I'm not the first to say that life is like football, uh, Lewis Grizzard put it this way. I think it was a great way to put it. The game of life is a lot like football. You have to tackle your problems, block your fears, and score your points when you get the opportunity. I think that's a great thought, isn't it? You have to, you have to tackle your problems, you have to block your fears, and score points when you get the opportunity. We are all faced with all kinds of different things in our lives, and uh, that's a good way to put it. The legendary coach, Vince Lombardi, expressed the same sentiment. He said, football is like life. It requires perseverance, self-denial, hard work, sacrifice, dedication, and respect for authority. He also said uh, that football is not a contact sport. It's a uh, collision sport. Dancing is a contact sport. And uh, I think that's about right. Some of you ladies might like this. Irma uh, Bombeck's observation of the football. She said, if a man watches three football games in a row, he should be declared legally dead. <laughs> you know, football. Uh, I'm a huge, huge college football fan. I I'm not as much of an NFL fan as I am a college football fan. My wife tells it this way. And uh, it was funny. When Pastor Parker was hired, she warned him about this without me even knowing 
Him and her had a conversation. She said, now when football season starts to arrive around the month of August, she said, you're going to notice a change in my husband. He's going to have a little more pep in his step. He's going to be a little bit more excited about life because college football is on TV. She said, now around the end of December, it all takes a turn. She says, he, he goes, he, he kinda, it's kind of an ebb and flow with college football. I love football. And you know what? The truth is, is that life is a lot like football. American-style football did not come into its own until about the time of the Civil War. It began as a variation on rugby and its cousin soccer among the Ivy League schools of the Northeast. And, and I believe with all my heart that if football had existed in Bible times, Paul would have probably been a fan. Because I say that because his New Testament books contain many sports analogies. The primary sports of his day were running, boxing, and wrestling. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, this is Paul writing. He says, Know ye not that they which run a race run all, but one receiveth the prize. So run that you may obtain. And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible crown. Verse 26, Therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as the one that beareth the air. Paul was very in tune to sports. And here in our passage of scripture that we're going to look at in Philippians chapter 3, it's going to give us another sports analogy. 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse number 7, the Bible says, I have fought a good fight, I have finished my course, I have kept the faith. And you know what? The truth is, is that when you think about football and you think about life, you compare it a lot. You know, the day that you were born, literally the game of life began for you. You grew up and you grew up in a certain household in a certain way. And you didn't get to choose who your mom and dad were. You didn't get to choose the house that you were uh, raised in. You didn't get to choose the state that you were raised in. You went off to school and you began to, to mold into the person that you were going to become. And then you entered into high school and, and you began to have relationships. And maybe you went to college and somewhere along the line, if God so desired, you found a maid and you were married and you found a, a job and, and you found different things about life. And now you find yourself here on this very first Sunday in February in a place called North Point Baptist Church. And you're trying to figure out where is life now? Because the truth is, is that we're all somewhere in our quarters. We're either in the first quarter, we're in the second quarter, the third quarter, the fourth quarter in life. And here's the thing you don't know. You don't know which quarter you're in. Because the Bible says our life is but a vapor. It appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. We have no idea when our time is going to come and when our time is going to end. We may think, well, I've got plenty of years. Well, the truth of the matter is we may not. And so here we have to decide one thing in our life, as Paul did. We have to decide that we are going to fight a good fight. That we are going to finish our course and that we are going to keep the faith. And you say, Pastor, I don't know what any of that means. That doesn't even make sense to me. Let me break it down for you like this. Whenever you decide that you are going to either give your life to Christ or you're going to reject Christ, you're going to fight one way or the other. And, and, and can I tell you that if you give your life to Christ, it'll be a good fight. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. You see, the truth is, is that some people start strong. Some people start st strong in their Christian life. And then something along the way messes them up. They get detoured. Can I ask you, are you going to finish the course? 
And then lastly, are you going to keep the faith? Are you going to stay with what you know is right? Our text provides another example to understand the passage. Requires understanding at least part of the sports analogy. Today I want to tackle the message of Philippians by translating Paul's ancient picture into our more familiar football analogy. If you have your Bibles, if you stand with me, Philippians chapter number 3. Philippians chapter number 3. Uh, We're going to read just a few verses. I won't be too long today. Philippians chapter number 3, starting in verse number 12. The Bible says this. Philippians chapter 3 and verse number 12. He said, not as though I had already attained. Either were already perfect, but I follow after. If that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not, not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do. Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Let us therefore, as many be perfect, be thus minded. And if anything ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal this unto you. Nevertheless, whereto we have already attained. Let us walk by the same rule. Let us mind the same thing. Our Father in heaven, Lord, I pray that you'll bless the reading of your word. I pray that you'll bless the few moments that we have together. May you give us understanding and clarity of thought and mind. Lord, we love you, but most of all, we thank you for loving us. For it's in your precious and holy son's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you so much. Let me just give you three simple thoughts about life is like football. First of all, life is like football. It's not over till it's over. It's not over till it's over. You say, what do you mean? A good team doesn't start celebrating until the game ends. Just ask Alabama and Auburn in 2014. Oh, just quickly, let me help you reminisce for those that are saying hey on the front row. Um, the, The seconds were sparing out, and there was a field goal to be had. The kick happened there was an Auburn team uh, member in the end zone. He caught the ball. The, the, the uh, clock had hit 0-0. Alabama thought they had won the game. They thought it was all over. Auburn ran the ball all the way back and got a touchdown. One of the greatest upsets in college football of our day. What happened? They stopped playing. Hey, hey, easy now. Easy. Don't get too excited on me. Um... They're, 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 you know, the truth is, is that that's the way life is. Life is not over till it's over. Listen to me, church. It doesn't matter where you're at in the stage of your life. Life is not over until it's over. And it's not over as a Christian until it's over. We, we, many times, we, we, and I pray to God that this never happens to me. So many times in Christians' lives, we, we begin to get more mature in our Christianity. And we get older in our Christianity. And many times we say, you know what, I'm just going to let somebody else do it. And we get in our rocking chair and we start rocking our life away. Listen, I don't believe that's the way God designed it. I believe God says that our life is not over until it is over. Victory comes to the team who wants it the most, who is willing to work the hardest all the way until the clock says zero, zero, zero. In fact, winning work begins long before the game, even before the season starts. Legendary coach Joe Paterno said it this way, the will to win is important, but the will to prepare is vital. 
The will to prepare is vital. You know, the truth is, is that we have to be prepared for life. We have to be prepared for the things that may come our way. Life is not over until it is over. Complacency and self-satisfaction are often the biggest obstacles to progress in sports and in the spiritual life. Coaches know that early success can do more harm than good for a team player. There's something about longevity. There's something about becoming a veteran. There's something about uh, 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 playing uh, uh, with life until the end. And that's why it's so important as Christians that whenever the first obstacle comes in our life, the first problem that comes in our life, we don't throw in the towel. We don't give up. You know, today, this evening... Uh, many of you, I, I know not all of you, but many of you will be sitting around your television sets as, as the Super Bowl comes on. And you'll begin to watch these guys that you've watched all year long in some cases. And they'll hit the field. And both teams have the same goal in mind. A Super Bowl ring. Can I tell you that the team that wants it the most is the one that's going to win. The team that plays the hardest is the one that's going to win. Can I ask you this morning, what is it that you want out of life? What is it that you want out of life? Do you just want to live your life and pass and and make no impact? Or do you want to live your life that makes an impact for Jesus Christ? Coaches talk about a team peaking too early, meaning that that they stop improving before the end of the season. Someone has said this, and I, I love this. The biggest room in the world is the room for improvement. The biggest room in the world is the room for improvement in football and in life. In our text, we read the word perfect, and that deserves a special note. We tend to define perfect as faultless or no problems. The Bible word carries a more idea of complete or an idea of maturity. It is the difference between a child and an adult or between a project that is finished and one that is only half done. In verse 12, Paul says that he knows that he is not perfect. And none of us will ever reach that perfect state, that mature state, until God calls us home. A follower of Jesus knows that as long as he or she has breath, there's room for improvement. No one can say, I am everything I am or everything that I want to be. We are all a work in progress. If you've got here this morning and you think, well, I've arrived. I don't know where you have arrived because you haven't arrived. We, we all have improvement that needs to be made in our life in a spiritual sense. We're all a work in progress. By the grace of God, we are not what we used to be. But by by the grace of God, we are not what we will be. And that is true for all of us. You see, life is much like football. Number two, and I'm going to be quick. Life is like football. You have to know which way you're headed. That's very important. You know, when you get on the football, uh, when you get on the field, they toss that coin And have you ever noticed what the refs do? The refs turn the players to make sure they know which way they're going. Because you've got to go in the right direction. Now, I've never had a child that played football, but I had a child that played basketball uh, when he was really small. And you know what's really cute when you watch those small guys play basketball? It doesn't matter which hoop. They just want to put it in the hoop. Whichever one's closest to them, that's all that matters. No matter how much you scream and you yell at them and tell them to go the other way, they're going to just put that ball in whichever hoop is closest to them. Well, can I tell you, in life, you have to know which way that you are headed. I'm going to tell you right now, here's the truth of the matter. I told somebody this this week. I would not get anywhere if it wasn't for my GPS. I would be stuck at home. 
I mean, uh, people call and they say, hey, Pastor, can you come to my house? And I say, sure. And they say, okay, I'll see you at five. Bye. So then I get on my phone and I start finding it. And some of you folks, you live way out in the sticks. Some of you live where sticks don't even exist. Well, my GPS gets me there. I have to know which direction I'm going. And that's the same way life is. You have to know which way that you are headed. Roy Regals learned that the hard way. He is one of the legendary stories of collegiate football. Regals was the center and captain of the 1929 University of California Rose Bowl team. Regals' Golden Bears went up against a great Georgia Tech team. Easy now. I know there's a lot of those in this room. In the second quarter, the game was scoreless when California drove the ball to Tech's 25-yard line and Tech held them. Cal gave up the ball and downs and the next play would go down in football history. Tech called a run and play. Their fullback barreled through the California line. A Cal defensive hit him hard and he fumbled. Roy Regals picked up the ball on the Tech 30 and took off in the wrong direction. I will not make any pun intended there, all right? Thinking he had it, Regal slowed down as he neared the end zone. One of his own players who had been chasing him the length of the field, yelling at him, managed to reach him at the last second. He spun Regal around and, and shouted at him. He stopped him short on the one-yard line, but they were both immediately buried by Georgia Tech tacklers. A couple of plays later, Tech blocked a cow punt attempt, scoring a safety. These two points would spell California's loss. According to the press reports, Regals played a brilliant second half, but no one remembered. He was forever known as Wrong Way Regal. Listen, church. The one last thing I want to do is get to my life, or get to the end of my life, and realize I've been going the wrong way. Realize that I've been headed in the wrong direction. I've had many people sit and talk with me. And they'll say, Pastor, how do you know God is real? Pastor, how do you know that Jesus is who he says he is? Pastor, do you have any proof? Can you give me any concrete proof that proves to me that what you're saying is true? And I'll take them and I'll open the Bible and this is what they'll say. No, no, that, that's something that's written by him. Throw it out the door. How can you prove to me that God is true? Here was my response. Can you prove to me that God is not true? Let me tell you. I'd rather follow Christ to the end of my life and be wrong than to not follow Christ and get to the end of my life and found out that they were right. Listen to me, church. There's enough evidence in this world. There's enough evidence in history. There's enough evidence in the Word of God to know that there is only one way. John chapter 14 and verse number 6, Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. There's one thing that I know, that all the gods in this world and everything that people have worshipped and served have all died, but there's only been one Savior who's still living today. Listen, 
I, I want to go the right way. I don't want to be known as someone that headed in the wrong direction. You see, speed, talent, and effort in pursuit of the wrong goal never accomplishes anything. That's true in football. And life is certainly like football. Uh, Philippians chapter 3 and verse number 13. I, I love this verse. He says, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do. You ready for this? Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. There are many of you this morning that may be here that have been taught many different things. Many different things about religion, many different things about life. And you're just trying to figure out what is the right way. What is the correct way? Can I tell you that this morning you should just take all that and put it behind you. Forgetting those things which are behind. And now it's time that we reach forth to those things which are before. Forgetting what is behind pictures the temptation that every runner faces. How many football players have you seen tackled short of the goal line because they slowed to look over their shoulder? And, and then the phrase reaching forth translates a phrase used of runners leaning into the finish line. Picture a ball carrier stretching for the final inches needed for a first down, reaching forth. Note the two directions of this appeal. Look at it. Forgetting what's behind, reaching forth for what's ahead. Both are very important. Many of you sitting under my voice today, as we've talked about for the past few weeks, are still living in your past. And can I tell you, the past can be your worst enemy. That's true individually. That's true in a church. No one lives in their past. We miss life when trying to live in the past. We always pick on each other. This morning as people are walking in, everybody's wearing different jerseys. And, and uh, one in particular, and I hope he didn't get upset with me for picking on him this morning. He says, I'm wearing the wrong color. I should have an N for Nebraska. You know, they still have a football team. And uh, he said to me, he said, I said, I, I was picking on him. He said, you need to change that to an end. And I said, oh, they still play football. And he said, well, of course they still play football. And he goes, now let me remind you of the five championship rings they have. And I said, yeah, how long ago was that? Now, we like to pick a lot, and we like to kid a lot. It's like every football season, you know. It's like this year. I was at the Georgia Tech-Florida State game, and what a terrible ending that had. As I'm leaving the stadium, do you know what I'm saying? You wait till next year. You just wait till next year. And then I was reminded, we don't play them anymore. Um, but you know what? Just like in football, many times we live in our past accomplishments. We also live in our past defeats. Can I tell you that we will miss life when we try to live in the past? We will miss it when we try to live in the past. Some of us continue to live in the shadow of our past mistakes. We can't believe that God would possibly forgive us, so we refuse to forgive ourselves. Others live imprisoned in bitterness and, and anger because they won't let go of wrong that was done to them in the past. Others can't quit looking at the past successes and glory. That too only slows the progress of the future. Listen to me, church, this morning. Listen to me, those that are visiting with me. Listen, God does not want us to live in the past. He wants us to live for today, and he wants us to live for tomorrow. We'll never get past it if we do not let go of our past. David Livingston 
the pioneer medical missionary to Africa upon returning to Great Britain was asked this question, where do you want to go now? Without hesitation, Livingston replied, I'm ready to go anywhere provided it's forward. Let me close with this last thought here. Number three, life is like football. You have to know which team you're on. You have to know which team you're on. You have to know who you're playing for. Philippians 1.27 says, Only let your conversations be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. That whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. There are only two teams on the field in football. This is also true in life. There are only two teams that you can be a part of. And you are here today to choose your team. Heaven is real. Hell is also real. You say, Pastor, I I don't like that. I I don't like that. We're going to talk about this place called hell. Listen to me, church. One day I'm going to stand before God. And I'm going to give an account of everything that I've said in this pulpit. And if I would have invited all of you here and just told you about how much God loves you and that everything is going to be okay in your life, shame on me. Because the truth of the matter is, is that every one of us have to make a choice. When I was 13 years old, I was sitting at a camp in Valdosta, Georgia, and I had to make a choice of whether or not I was going to listen to the fact that heaven, yes, is real, but hell is also real. And I've got to make a decision of which one that I'm going to partake of. You see, Jesus Christ, he already paid the price, and now I have to decide whether or not I'm going to receive the gift. You see, life is like football, but there's one big difference. Football is just a game. Life is not. Life is for real. There is more at stake than a win or a loss or a championship trophy. You see, eternity hangs in the balance. Let me share with you a passage of scripture in three thoughts and I'm done, I promise. Romans chapter number 10, the Bible says this. But what saith it? The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. That is, the word of faith which we preach. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth, the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture saith, whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now listen to me, church. Listen to me. That may be a a complicated passage of scripture to some of you. But this last verse sums it all up for us. And I want to make it real simple and, and real real to you as someone did to me at one time. Look what it says. It says, for whosoever. I want you to put your name there. I'm going to put my name there. I'm going to say, for if Lee shall call upon the name of the Lord, Lee shall be saved. I can put my name there. You can put your name there. It is a promise for all of us. It's a very simple plan of salvation. Number one, the proclamation of faith. 
He proclaims the faith that we can have. Listen, there, there is nothing that you can do to earn salvation. People have been trying to do that forever. There is nothing that we can do to earn it. It is only by faith. It's only through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. The Bible says in Romans chapter 3 and verse number 23, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Every single person has sinned. Every single person on the face of this earth that is born is born a sinner because of Adam and Eve, what they did in the garden. And because of that, we all need a salvation. And salvation came, as many of you know the verse, John chapter 3 and verse number 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever, that if we believeth in him, shall have everlasting life. The proclamation of faith. And then the plan of faith. What's the plan? The plan is to call upon him. The plan is just to call upon him. He's listening. And then thirdly, the people of faith. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Let me tell you my story. Many of you here have heard it. One day I was sitting at a camp in Valdosta, Georgia. And I was sitting next to a beautiful young lady. And my best friend on the other side. And this man, they called him Tall Paul. He was a chalk artist. And he began to draw a picture. I've been in church all my life. He began to draw a picture right in front of us. And it was a picture of beautiful clouds. And I can, I mean, I could recreate the thing for you if I could draw. And, and, and he brought beautiful clouds. And, and literally, he began to draw some streets and things. And, and then he drew a church. And he took people and he began to put people in segments. And he says, you know what? This is where you find yourself at many times. You find yourself in church. You find yourself in the street. You find yourself in all these places. And you know about God. You know all about him. But you've never taken the next step in your life. You have the knowledge in your head, but you've never taken it to your heart. And I'll never forget it as it was yesterday. We were in that camp, Valdosta, Georgia. It was hot. And he, learned, he turned to the man that was standing over there by the lights. And he said, turn all those lights off. He took a blue light. And he held it up to that picture. And he showed all of them burning in hell. I remember sitting there next to that beautiful young lady and my best friend. And I looked at that picture and it was almost as if he had drew me. I got up out of my seat and I left that chapel. Not far behind me was a counselor. His name was Brother Glenn. He put his hand on my shoulder. And he said, what's wrong with you? And I said, I really don't know. I'm confused. He said, what are you confused about? I said, I've been in church all my life. I've heard people talk about salvation. I I even went forward with a bunch of people one time. I said, but now God is working on me, and I, I don't really understand it. And I remember him opening up his Bible. And every verse that he showed to me, I could quote. Then he said this. He said, is it in your brain or is it in your life?
that moment I realized that I needed Jesus Christ to be my Savior. I got down on my knees and I prayed the prayer that I'd even prayed with other people for them. But at that moment, it became real to me. I can go back to that moment every day of my life because of how it changed me. You see, at that moment, I chose which team that I was going to play for. My destiny changed forever. Can I put it to you this way as I close in prayer? The score is tied. It's fourth down and one. We've got to choose a play. Can I ask you a question this morning? Are you going to cross the line and make the touchdown? Or are you going to walk away from here defeated again? As much as I wish that I could tell you I could make that choice for you, I can't. The Bible says in Romans chapter 6 and verse 23, for the wages, the payment of sin is death. And then he puts a conjunction there and he says, but... The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Pastor, what's the gift? Some 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ went to the old rugged cross. A sinless man. They put him on that cross and they nailed his hands and they nailed his feet. And they took his cross and they put it into the ground. And they whipped him and they scourged him and they made fun of him. They ripped his beard out. They cast lots. <laughs> and right before Jesus Christ died, he looked up into heaven and he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And he gave up the ghost. But guess what? Three days later, there goes Mary and the other Mary to the tomb. And there's the angel, fear not, for he's not here. He is risen just as he said he would. Where's he at now, pastor? He's in heaven. On February the 7th, 2016, at 11.45 in the morning. And he's looking down from heaven and he's saying, listen to that crazy guy for just a moment. He's telling you the truth. I'm begging you. To call unto me. Romans chapter 5 and verse number 8. But God commendeth his love toward us. He gave his love to us. That even while we were sinners, Christ died for you. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Thank you so much for listening so well.